Hello, everyone, and welcome to Generally Casual. This is Michael, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and this is the place where you can learn anything and everything casually. I always put that in different orders. You really do. Uh, my your, your flow, you found a flow like a couple episodes you ago. You told me I would mess up. You ruined uh, it. <laughs> uh, and I'm joined with my co-host today, Richard, and our special guest today, Mr. Josh. Hi, guys. My yes. name's Josh. I am a friend of Richard and Michael. Yes, and also the purveyor of good books. Y- yes, I... Uh, a singular good book. He has yet to show me that, otherwise. He's got other good books. I, I, I've only now read one of the good books. So I don't know. He's gonna Ishmael have to... might be like the one card I have up my sleeve. Uh, there you go. <laughs> and that's the thing. He has the defeatist attitude now. Yeah, today we're talking about the book Ishmael. So if you haven't read that, uh, maybe you want to listen a bit, see if you like the book, but we would all highly recommend it. Um, Josh... Tried to get me to wa- uh, read it for a good portion of a year and a half. Yeah. And then eventually I read it because I was like, I was getting back into listening to books. Before we actually get into the book, actually in talking with another person as I was reading the book, because I just finished it today, um, I talked with a coworker because I brought it to work with me a couple days to try and read it, even though work was busy good. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, he asked like, is it going to be a movie anytime soon? And I'm like, this I don't think would work well as a movie. It cannot be made into a movie based off of even the way a, that the narrative works. Even a TV series would be uh, odd. It it would then turn into a, like a a weird fictional history. The as medium opposed it's to, in is where it should. It, be. It's where it should be. I I feel like at l- the if you wanted to transfer it to a visual medium, an animation, but like a fan animation would be perfect for it. I feel like it would turn into an animation like. Like the Animatrix or something, where it's stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As opposed to the specific mm-hmm. like book itself. It's, it's yeah. the same thing. I mean, very different books completely. But it's kind of like World War Z, where they have like it's literally just people talking. And I think that exactly what you said, Josh. That's the benefit of this book is that it's in the medium that gives it the biggest advantage for grabbing its readers or grabbing its consumers. Okay. So to kind of delve a little bit, because I think it actually works itself as I kind of did the opposite. I kind of binged the book. Oh, throwback to previous episode. Um, (laughs) um, But I did basically three sittings. I read it and read up to like chapter two. And then I pretty much read like three quarters of it. And then today I finished like the last hundred pages. I do not recommend that anyone do that. It, I think... You need to be able to take this book at, at its own pace. Yes. It has a specific pace. And as you're reading it, you want to be able to digest what it gives you. That's what I'd say about it. It's, it's very digestible, but mm. not to be done, I think, yeah, in a few days oh, cramming no, 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 before no, no, no. a test. It, you got to read this it took, thing. But. It took me about a week and a half, maybe two weeks to get through it. But I thought that was a nice pace because just like you said, I think it works better when you kind of like a good sandwich you just want to eat a little bit and then process it and then eat a little bit process it not over obviously don't eat a sandwich over two weeks but you know yeah and that's the thing is technically the book is written in a way for you to be able to do just that Mm -hmm. so uh to kind of give a little bit of the story um of ishmael by daniel quinn a adventure of spirit and mind actually josh would you like to relay us the story yes at least the initial part um, I think lay sure, the groundwork. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, the groundworks. So a gentleman is looking into a newspaper and finds an ad that says, I'm seeking a pupil and you must have an earnest desire to save the world. And at first, this gentleman gets pretty perturbed and kind of upset about this ad. 
and he finds a mentor who is looking to teach a student about the story of his culture and how he is a part of this thing he doesn't even realize. Basically trying to open up his eyes to um, how humans relate with their surroundings, I guess, even mm-hmm. the relationship with Earth. Yes. Yeah. And... and- and uh, so just to kind of go into that a little bit, the reason why um, this story lends itself to the digestible manner that we were just talking about is because it's done through a series of stories and a series of like thought experiments, yeah, basically. Yeah. Thought experiments. Yeah. Um, and so it takes it in chunks. Basically, as the pupil is trying to understand what the concept is that the teacher's trying to teach him, then there's breaks in that where the teacher will say, all right, go home. Yeah. And then come back to me once you've figured it out. And like a good teacher, the, 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 the teacher's also like, the mentor is also like, Oh, are you, are you trying to think? And he's like, of course I'm trying to think. He's like, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think you really are applying are, yourself. Yeah, are trying to apply yourself to yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a very mentor teacher thing like to do because a lot of times your students will be like, no, I, t- I trust, trust me. I'm trying to think it's like, but the answer is there in front of you. And that's actually what I liked while consuming the book is you can put yourself in the shoes of the apprentice yes, or mentee. And, and do these own thought experiments mm-hmm. with yourself. Like, okay, well, let me think this out. This is, do you come to the same conclusion, something different? I find that some people love this book or absolutely hate it just because mm-hmm. it's uh, at some points I feel like the book can be reductionist. You know, they reduce down big core problems to one or two issues which usually real world is not like that yeah but i'm on the half that loves this book and and the story it kind of tells yeah i actually had a debate with my friend uh with some of the core themes of this book just using the book as the argument and not trying to involve my own opinions on it i didn't tell my friend that so they got a little mad at me. Uh, but, oh, because they thought it was your argument. Yeah, well, because I was just arguing from this literal point of using some of the some of the thoughts in the book, and they were like, "Well, there's so many other things that apply to this the, this big you know conversation, this big issue with our world, and you're trying to reduce it down to just like these very base mechanics." What I love is that the book can make this argument in such a structured, approachable way. That you can reduce some of these big, you know, overwhelming ideas that are plaguing our planet into very simple terms. It's sometimes necessary. Well, yeah. and uh, the the interesting thing that I find uh, in the book is that it points out to you that you that as you're reading the book, you may get frustrated as you're reading the book yeah. because it's taking it from the standpoint you you're technically the pupil. Uh, even though obviously the perspective changes uh-huh. between the two and how the stories are told, the entire book is meant to treat you as you're learning what's going on. Correct. You're you're, you're going the observer. Ju- you're going on the journey too. Right. Yeah. Um. And so it's it's kind of funny that it then kind of pokes and prods at you a couple times to say, hey, like you also need to be thinking about this stuff. And that that's. We'll start because we're at the beginning of the book, oh, technically. That's actually, I was going to say, this is an excellent point to jump off to talk about Daniel Quinn in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is actually the theme, and I don't think we've touched too much on the book yet to describe what Daniel Quinn was going for 
when he wrote this book. Okay. So he went through three books, four books, or I guess four stories, before he got to Ishmael. One called The Book of Damnation, Part 1, 2, and 3, and the book called The Dreamer. And in all of those books, before he wrote them, he was trying to go for an alien comes down to Earth and uh, finds a mentor to try to discover... Uh, basically to impart like this thought of peace to this person Mm -hmm. and going, you know, what's wrong with the earth? And then what's wrong with uh, like, how did this alien who's never known the same culture that this person's uh, consumed, how are they so different? And he basically described a story of how this alien tells uh, the the way their culture came from. Um, And I'm going to totally butcher some of this, some of this, but basically the alien was, basically saying that instead of figuring out all of these issues, the first thing they did was try to live in harmony with their planet. And then from there, again, reducing some of the, these bigger ideas, they worked up. And the first thing that this alien species did was like they went straight towards space travel. They skipped over a thousand different other things and with this being like their unification for their planet, they basically discovered that they were able to live in symbiosis with their planet and still work towards these future technology things. Um, I would highly suggest you go read the forward and afterward um, of the book because he kind of goes into this deep description. I didn't of what... have time, Michael. Yeah, well, that's your problem. <laughs> uh, but he goes through like basically how Daniel Quinn researched for like 15 to 20 years all about creationist myths um how uh were who were we before we were humans and he basically was talking about how a lot of people don't know about that um how that's a a lost information that's out there that people really haven't dived into and that those two ideas was the alien someone who is alien coming down to a planet and trying to describe uh like a human human's culture and basically going hey you are doing something wrong. Let's try to figure out what you can do to fix it and how, like, me, who doesn't know anything about your culture, needs to, like, help you by imbi- uh, imparting some of this knowledge that I have. And that, with the creation of myth, is how he came arose to Ishmael. You actually brought up a very interesting point because I thought that something that carried over in the beginning part of the book was this concept of mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And I, it, yeah. Josh, before we started recording, you talked about the, the jellyfish quote. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I love mythology. I love story. I love that creation myth from the Ennead to the Bible. to uh, This one that Daniel Quinn has in his book, there's a thought experiment that Ishmael, who, by the way, we haven't talked about really. Ishmael, our mentor, is a giant ape. I don't know. Is he a silverback or gorilla? He's a gorilla. Yeah, he's yeah. A, yeah he's a gorilla. Of some he is part. a gorilla, and he communicates telepathically. I think that helps break up some of the serious I content. Love that, by but the yeah. way. Well, <laughs> this and dude is very perturbed. Yeah, I mean, he coming to he a goes over a... his backstory, and that's yeah. like, but that's not. That's the good yeah. thing. It's like it gets that out of the way to begin with, because it's like this isn't important for what I'm trying to tell you. Correct. And so he has this thought experiment to basically get his pupil to repeat the story that Ishmael knows, the story of his culture, and he asks him to tell the history of the world 
and the pupil's kind of like, what? what? What are you talking about? And he means like, from the Big Bang, what happened right. to make it today? And the guy gave a history of this to that to this mm-hmm. to finally leading up to humans. And Ishmael asked him, and, and, and that's it? And the guy was like, humans. Yeah, yeah humans. Yep. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. And he gave him the thought experiment of what if i had asked that question to a jellyfish in the jurassic era mm-hmm. to tell me the, the the story of the universe how did it come to be and the jellyfish would give the same story and say it ended with me but we all know the lesson that we kind of learned with this experiment that the jellyfish wasn't the last thing to come nope that there was millions and millions of other species yet to come and that yeah the earth wasn't made for a jellyfish so as part of that actually discussion, what I found interesting is is that they kind of changed, not changed, but they expanded the what the word mythology means. Mm. Um, through this story, he actually talks, uh, Ishmael talks about how um, when you're telling something that's myth or, you know, mythology, it doesn't necessarily mean that the people in the current time thought of it as mythology it became a way of life for them. Like the Greeks with the gods and everything like that. At that time, they didn't think it was mythology. It's now, right? It is of what you mean. And and so uh, through that kind of thought experiment and discussion, that was something that was impactful for me when I was reading that beginning part of the book was Mm. that expansion of that word and understanding that even today, what we consider, you know, religion or any, the way we live life anything like that is still technically a mythos or mythology mm. of some kind yeah absolutely and that's a that was a big imparting factor i think on the first step for our our mc to basically be like oh and his mind is you can watch it opening because he's starting to be like well i can kind of see what you're trying like he's starting to very partially see the light of what the what are what Ishmael is trying to what pass on? What the story is yeah. that Ishmael knows that yeah. he's trying to get him to discover. Exactly, and I also like at the beginning when he's trying to tell this, he's like, "Okay, well, to also first start this, let's adopt a few words, right. and let's right. make sure we're both okay with these words, and they don't have a positive or negative connotation." Mm-hmm. And I love that he starts there because he's like, "Well, we need to tell this story in a way that's not already positive or negative, like leaning one way." And he goes, "Well." I, I can call this, um, I forgot what the two, I think he uses indigenous? Uh, he used, hey, uh, savages and civilized. Yeah, savages and civilized. Savage oh, yeah, that was a lot more. Be, yeah, because that was the point. It's like those automatically have a negative yeah. and positive and, connotation yes. to them. Strangely, the MC was like, well, these don't exactly have a negative positive. But he's like, what about, uh, he uses the words takers and he uses the word leavers. And he's like, well, that we can use that because... And they even had a small argument back and forth about those words because uh-huh. obviously taking and leaving have a positive and negative yeah, exactly. internal connotation. But they Correct. get through that discussion as well yeah. and, to and, establish. And those are some really important words that give uh, give heavy weight for the rest of the book. If, if you don't understand exactly what takers and leavers are, you won't understand the stories that come after that. And to me, this is kind of at the midpoint of the book for for me. Where they talk about the where they because yeah. even though it's not at the the middle of the book that whole concept of takers and leavers have such a profound impact to the rest mm-hmm. of the book yes and really understanding what the purpose of the the story is about um and that and then the other word was uh mother culture which they actually 
talk about throughout the entire book. Um, and in essence, what what the concept of mother culture is, is you're living in a society where something is constantly dictating you how to live your life and you're not really aware of it. But you're constantly living your life the Correct. way that mother culture tells you to. Communication is a shared uh, and mutual experiment uh, experience, I mean. And the story is a society, yeah, enacting a culture. Yeah. That is the story. The story is what is the society enacting subconsciously, not even knowingly, which Ishmael talks about that, you know, humans ever said, he says from the womb, we know this story and we get told this story, but we unknowingly don't even know it at times. Right. Which we come to find is that the story is that, that we tell ourselves the takers like, or the taker story. Yes. The taker story. The taker story is that we are apart from the world and the world was made for us to rule basically. Right. Um, which uh, is a kind of fascinating point in the book, which there at that point, I that was the point where I thought that I had to pull away from the book for a bit and take a break. That. Yeah. Um, not exactly there. It was actually leading up to that because there okay. was a lot of points um, leading up to that, that kind of epiphany moment mm-hmm. um, where they were telling a lot of stories. There was a lot of right. like yeah. historical significance going on, and obviously, they interpreted it in a fictional manner. But it was all kind of based on historical truth or yeah. historical fact. Well, and there was the there was the converging three stories: the Adam and Eve story. There was the story of Cain and Abel, and then there was the story of the takers and leavers. Right. They were all being addressed at different points and at different speeds. But Ishmael kept kind of wrapping back up and going because they're all important to today's, you know, today's world because some of them are based on, I almost said faction. Some of them are based on fact and then some of them base are based on the mythos that's there. Right. Um, and fact being as well as we know history to be at that point, which again um, is kind of touched on going like still a little bit of myth because nothing's 100% confirmed, but it's like. You can see the the movement of people and kind of base it, and that was a later thing, the Cain and Abel thing. But I'm saying there's like three different stories that are going around at this point, right? Yeah, and even some of the like uh, the other things that they talk about, uh, there was the uh, society that just uh, disappeared. So um, yeah, I really like that one. Um, and I don't remember exactly what no, their name yeah, was, but don't even. I got you. I remember <laughs> um, that he was talking about. How basically takers don't abide by the laws of nature. That the book gets to this point about society, or t- yeah. I think particularly the takers were not living within the bounds of of nature, right? The, because there is laws to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember the laws? F the police. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> canceled. But um, uh, to make this digestible, this thought experiment that Ishmael has for the pupil is he thinks of take the laws of physics and gravity. We know what goes up must come down. Right. And he tells them the story about how if you take the very early aeronauts, which are the very first people trying to fly planes, oh, the Wright brothers. Yeah, the Wright brothers. I really like exactly. this. Yes. Um, and he says, imagine a society is one of these early contraptions. How about one where you're pedaling, and the more you pedal, these wings will flap. Flap. Because it's based and, off of birds. Yeah. 
And so this society, which is the flappy contraption that he's now taking to a cliff to fly off the edge to prove he can fly, and he starts going. And he thinks, wow, I have finally done it. I am flying. Um, but we all know that no matter what, because that aeronaut's contraption doesn't abide by the laws of physics, that it will be bound to fail. So he Aerodynamics. Keeps, the aerodynamics sir. of it <laughs> won't work. And so he keeps pedaling and pedaling, but he thinks, ah, even though I may be going downwards, I'm still flying, uh-huh. technically. Yeah. But then he sees the wreckages of other... Uh, flying contraptions at the bottom of these cliffs but he keeps telling himself oh if I only pedal harder and harder I'll be fine I know it and we all know with a million people pedaling flapping little wing things because it doesn't abide by the laws of aerodynamics physics etc mm-hmm. that it is bound to fail relating that to the laws of nature that the taker culture does not abide by uh, the laws of nature Yeah, which and- leads into and that's exactly what he's trying to get our, our main character to be yeah. like, what are the laws that every living being on this planet needs to follow in order to kind of work? Yeah. Well, in order to live in symbiosis with its environment and not destroy Instead it. of a part of it. Yes. And what I found interesting about that was he starts it off by talking about how the takers don't understand uh, how to live for themselves. He says that this is a concept. So the the uh, levers have been doing the same thing that they've been doing for thousands of millions of years, and they've found a way that works to live for them. However, the takers don't have that. They're constantly under this assumption that they don't know how to live for themselves because they have these prophets and other people that tell them how to live. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember this. Yeah. Um, and so... As part of that discussion, Ishmael basically asks why that's the case. And so then they get to that point about how uh, in order to investigate how to live, you can't live, you can't force um, a society to live in the way that you want to. You have to basically live for yourself. Yeah. And and not try and put... (laughs) you know, your way of living on everyone else. Now, a couple of precursor conversations that come right before this is the talk about agriculture. Yes. Um, and agriculture was like a huge part of the precursor conversation, this, this idea of observing your own culture and how do you figure out what's wrong? Um, and how do you figure it out while you live in it? Because it is like he's just discovering that mother culture is telling him a story uh, towards the beginning of the book. And he's I think at this point he's finally been able to articulate most of a taker story. Um, and I think this finishes off exactly what the story is. And basically Ishmael goes basically on the dawn of when man first discovered how to stay in one place, you stay in one place by learning the, uh, the technique of farming. Right. Then the, ever since that point, that's when the takers arose. And I think he gently feeds this idea to him and then goes, think. Well, the the best part of that is he then later almost throws that on its head because he also says there's also a Native American tribe that did agriculture for a while. And then when someone else came into their territory, they went they reverted back to being hunter gatherers. Mm-hmm. So he's like, 
that that was kind of a funny thing is later on in the book he's just like oh yeah you know that whole thing that i told you and how takers basically your agriculturist that's not actually the case they it's it's the fact that levers can modulate their way of life to make sure that no matter what they're living for themselves and, and how the yeah. society will will but, flourish I, I really appreciated that the example he did take for the levers were Native Americans and mm-hmm. um, examining their way of life and how they appreciated all spirits, all all life, mm-hmm. and how they lived with the earth and how they were part of. They recognize how they were a part of uh, the whole thing. The yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas the levers are. At war with the earth. There's a quote here. Takers, yeah. Everyone in your culture knows this. Man was born to turn the world into paradise, but tragically, he was born flawed. And so his paradise has always been spoiled by stupidity, greed, destructiveness, and short-sightedness. We're not destroying the world because we're clumsy. We're destroying the world because we are, in a very literal and deliberate way, at war with it. Being that we want to control the the earth we we don't want to be subject to because being subject to leaves you vulnerable vulnerable yeah yeah like 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 the levers which they Mm -hmm. all are you can't overgrow your population there's other tribes that as he mentions in the book yeah that was a really (laughs) a really cool um part of the book where he showed a map basically of all the kind of native american tribes within north america and said like why did they live this way yeah and how uh, when uh, one part of a tribe would go into another tribe's territory, they knew like the consequence of that was pretty much you're going to probably die because you've now entered yes. a different territory. Um, and so then the only obviously difference to that was when there was expansion on mm-hmm. certain Native American tribes and other things like that. But um, with that, there's also an, it's towards the end of the book, but there's an amazing conversation uh, where Ishmael basically plays the role of, I think, a Native American. And he goes, you play the role of a taker. Oh, no, it was just a lever, but yeah. Oh, uh, oh I think yeah. It was, a, he, it was a Bushman of uh, Africa. Oh, it was I a Bushman was, of Africa. He's like, okay, and you'll p- take the role of a taker, and you'll explain to me why I should be more interested in living like you. Yeah. Or li- basically, learning- why should I not be a lever? Yeah, why should I, I learn agriculture? Yeah. Basically. I love that you brought that point because, um, sidebar of context here, that. After reading this book and then watching for the first time Dances with Wolves. Oh, yeah. And just relating it really, really hit me hard. Like, I wept just thinking about that concept of, mm. hey, why couldn't they live like this? Why was this way superior? Why yeah. why, why did they say that, you know? Yeah. Um, because it was chopped into civilized versus savages. Well, and I found fascinating about that particular thing was he related it in a way to uh the gods and and there's obviously right. stories mm-hmm. about the gods throughout the entire thing and stuff like that but uh and how the levers are within the hands of the gods yeah. they basically say they live their life uh leaving their entire life life to the gods right. as opposed to the takers take control of their we own want lives. want to become the gods. Yeah, yeah, more or less, yes. I mean, that's great to just quickly talk about the uh, the tree knowledge. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to keep it really simple, there's this running story throughout it that basically was about the Adam and Eve story, um, basically being like, 
the gods going, we, we like these people and we want to do more stuff with them. Uh, but we know that if we give them more knowledge, they will want to be like us. And so they're like, oh, well, we'll make this garden and we'll make this tree and we'll put the knowledge of good and evil, quote unquote, uh, on, in this tree. Right. And we'll, well, we'll let oh. them live here. Yeah. So in essence, the tree, the garden was already there. They already did that stuff. But they ate that and, and came to, to yes, understand yes. uh, what good and evil was. The, the interesting part of that conversation was the gods then understood, well, this tree is for us. Yeah. The, the, this person, these humans, they can't eat the tree. They can't eat from the tree. They won't know what to do with that. They, they're they not allowed to eat from this tree because mm. they won't get yeah. good. They don't get the knowledge of good and evil. And so the discussion with the other gods was, it's not that they will is that they assumed they would because yes. they only see the gods eating this tree and they know they're not allowed to eat this tree. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden the knowledge of good and evil becomes apparent whether or not. And and then humans start becoming like the they feel like they should be godly and take they the assumed, place of gods. Yeah. When the right. gods can sit back and going, uh, I think they had a discussion with themselves going, what is right and what is wrong? Right. And then they finally ate the fruit and we're like, well... They explain like this, you know, if a if a lion is hunting the gazelle or the antelope, um, w- today it would be uh, the antelope's turn to live, and the lion goes home starving. The next day, it's the lion's turn to feast on the antelope, and the antelope must die that day. And because they're trading it around... The gods view that is fair that it's each day exactly well, it's a circle of life but then when the when the humans get the, the same knowledge they try to do the same thing to other species right instead of going i understand i am a part of this circle as well and we must live in this circle in symbiosis with it which is the same thing that he was talking with the levers and takers is he was t- talking to the levers going well, don't you want more? Don't you want more than just to like, you know, just go, you know, some days be able to get food and some days be able to get berries and some days like, and then some days you have a drought and you have no water. And the lever every time was like, well, this is the way, this is the way it is. There's plenty of food all around. He's like, he's like, well, there isn't. What, what if you don't have berries that day? What if you want berries? He's like, well, then I'll get a rabbit. He's like, what if there isn't a rabbit? And he's like, well, then I will, you know, hunt a deer. And it, and it was always like, a, well, but what if you want deer, but you can't get deer? And he's like, well, then, you know, that's just the way it is. Exactly. Well, and that actually kind of came control. to a, yeah, a it's pinnacle where uh, it came to the end of that conversation where he basically said, well, what if you can't get anything? Mm-hmm. And and the the lever then said, then we go we die basically yeah and he's like so doesn't isn't that alarming isn't that something that don't you not want to die and he's like well yes but we take with what we give and blah blah blah, and our society then goes and if it's time for us to go then we go correct and that was i think that's one of the many parts of this idea of natural order or natural law that you were bringing up josh Correct. Um, that we we live outside the means of, of ourselves. We we hoard and well, we live above yeah the above the, the, the needs, law, yeah. the ultimate law of nature, um, and that if if we continue to kill, um, not only each other but other species, 
uh, which they actually brought to kind of pull it back to the more beginning part of the book is survival of species actually is a lot more prevalent when there are more species available yeah. to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of already a law of nature, right? That's kind of Darwin stuff. And mind you, this was written in 92. Right. Uh, now we're thinking about... Well, also 20 years of yeah. research before that. So the 70s through the 90s Correct. of research. So um, I wanted to talk about those laws specifically because I think he lays down two. Two, uh, like there's other ones that are connected to it. But the first one was uh, he was describing how humans hunt and how you want to get rid of your other predators in the area. And it was basically that came down to it. Hunt what your your predator hunts. Right. And then hunt what the, what sorry hunt the praise food then you, control you keep going the praise, down the chain food right and then once you have control of all of that then you are the only predator in the area right and he was basically saying a law of nature is that you i think it was like two things you only get what you need but i think he put it more eloquently than that in the book and then the other one was they do not hunt each other's prey yes and if there's right. a fight over food, it's whoever has the food or whoever can fight for it at the time. Right. But that's the difference between everyone and humans is that the humans will go prey to prey to prey to prey, eventually going all the way to the vegetation that the prey eats and try to control that whole line. And that is a huge issue because that stops diversity. Right. And which then impair, uh, impacts the entire circle of things that are going on. Well, not to mention the longevity of the entire world is, is defeated by that because then if an unknown circumstance comes to the world, the only things that will be left to survive that are things that can adapt to that. And yeah. with less yeah. species that, that be, that becomes more of a statistical improbability to survive. Correct, which towards the end of the book, we, we kind of get from Ishmael that we we should be guardians of, of the earth, that, right that yeah. like the Fermi paradox with aliens, like if there are a bunch of them up there and out there, where are they all? Well, what if we're the first? What if we are the first conscious, consciousness mm-hmm. that the universe has awakened to? that we should realize the gift that we have for appreciation of the world around us and that we should be guardians to what may come next if nothing does come next, prolonging it for all of us, you know? Absolutely. to take that even a step further, not even to go outside of our own world, what if uh, we are the progenitor species that then other species on our own planet will Correct. then get self-awareness and I'm, consciousness. I'm glad we're all on the same page. I was literally writing that down. Just to, to touch on that later. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that, that he's like, well, humans today feel like we should be the one and only one. What if what if tomorrow dolphins decided they could start you know, speaking to each other and had this higher form of consciousness where they could start you know, building and then like making advanced you know, cultures and then start evolving as a species? what's our duty there is our duty to be like well you're not acting like dolphins go back to acting like dolphins or are we like oh let's help them and help them get to where we are today and help them maybe they can teach us things and we can teach them and we can show them what it's like to live in symbiosis with nature and understand this circle and pass that down that knowledge to the next species that's going to inherit the earth not take over the earth 
And to take that even a step further, what example are humans setting now for the the next species to come? Mm, Correct. Do we go down, which path do we go down? Do we continue to go down this path of destruction or do we recognize that we have the obligation to not only this world, but in turn other worlds to become that guardian and that foster? Like I said, if we are the first sentience out there that spread amongst the the worlds that that will further develop from yeah. being robots or biological, that yes, we should be recognize the the significant amount of responsibility we have in our efforts to preserve. Mm-hmm. And there are two more things that I wanted to cover. That's fine. One is one of the most fascinating things that I found very interesting in the book, and I think it's more towards the middle of the book, was a discussion about how to find that something is a law. They, he, uh, Ishmael dis- uh, discusses um, that. Let me explain how this kind of species works. Um, you walk in and um, you are having dinner with um, a, a group of people and they're called the A's. And uh, they say, oh, what are we having for dinner? And they're like, oh yeah, we're having the B's. And so then you kind of, we're like, okay, what are the bees? And you're like, oh, yeah, some of the bees are right next door. And you're like, what? We're eating human? What? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not exactly how it works. Like, we're eating the bees, and the bees eat the C's, and the C's eat the A's. And so it's basically like that natural progression, and that then lends itself to a law of nature. Mm-hmm. And what I found fascinating about this that discussion was um, it kind of then evolves into okay, how, okay, so you now have established that that is something that happens, right? Then the next thing is, is, so then when you go into that society, how do you determine what their laws are? Ah, yes. And then, then that next step is, you then know someone from that society who's then, uh, uh, what was it? Broken the laws? Yeah, broken the laws. And, and so then it's like a question of, okay, well, what did you do to break it? He's like, I can't tell you that. He broke the laws. He broke the laws. Well, so when you discuss that, it's like, well, he did something that no one else did. And that was a, a law broken. Yeah. And so it was interesting to, to get through that thought process because, in essence, he was then teaching, Ishmael was then teaching the student how to think that way and being like, I'm trying to get you to discover this for yourself, Outside but I have to yeah. be able to lead you down this path in order for you to, to think this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fascinating. Um, and then the other thing was, um, which we kind of addressed in this discussion already, uh, about space travel. Finding if, if human society can find a way where we can live more cohesively with the world, but still then... Uh, invent space travel and be able to move elsewhere, we've then almost taken ourselves out of the equation on purpose. We let then the world dictate itself again, which is the way it was before. Yeah. I, to me, that is some like a future that I would be profound to actually have. Mm-hmm. Leave this world uh, to then regain, go, itself. regain itself to then go elsewhere and Spread. spread that knowledge of yeah. that yeah um and with those uh conversations there's a couple of other little topics that are brought up like overpopulation was discussed uh food production being discussed and i would highly recommend reading the book to kind of get accustomed with the way 
the book describes those issues um because overall that's where a basis of a lot of the problems that are basically calling for the doom of humanity like come from but then right. as we loop back into the the conversation we just had like what what the finishing messages are is like if you don't start having the conversation about how what's wrong how to fix it then you can't actually come up with a solution and if that's not worldwide no one will be doing that because no one will accept it and that that is sort of by the end of ishmael basically him going hey now that you've learned this go, go spread it teach go it. teach so yeah go not spread it but teach it to somebody else teach because, it to a hundred more people and then those, and then teach it to them in the way that they will then teach a hundred more people yeah and if we don't do that you'll never change right and I like that that was the idea because he's not teaching anybody a way to fix anything. He's it's just a way to wake just, up and imagine. Yeah, well, yeah and exactly. Think. And like, the, yeah, the, the 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 metaphor he uses um, is humans envision themselves trapped behind a fence, and they don't know how to get out of it, or even that they're in it, that they're in this jail of sorts, and. Ishmael can look at them and be like, well, I can't just tell you to get out of it because you don't even know the that you're in it. Yeah. And <laughs> like that's his whole take on the conversation itself is that his goal is just to help pass down this information and then help people teach each other that they are trapped so that way they can eventually imagine a way to get untrapped. And I really enjoy that that... That's the message. Isn't the the book's message? Isn't oh well. This is how we fix this, this problem. This is how we fix this. Yeah, this is yeah. how we fix it. First, we need to recognize that there is a problem. Yeah, and then we can go ahead and address it because Ishmael had no problems imagining that there are people out there who could fix the problem, but they need to know the problem exists. The book is really a philosophy book disguised as a piece exactly. of fiction. Yes. Yes. And the way he tells it is wonderful because. Uh, using what he thought of before he wrote Ishmael, he was like, I need an alien. And he said that he eventually told his wife a gorilla. And his wife was like, that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> and so he's still telling a similar story to the way he wanted it. In this world, the alien is the gorilla because the gorilla is removed from human culture and was, has not grown up with it and just... It kind of has its eyes open. He eventually. says, "I teach you cap captivity." Exactly, yeah. like something that he's innately familiar with. Is cap? Yeah, exactly, um, because he's lived his whole life in captivity up to a certain point, right? Um, and even past that, I mean, he lives his entire life in captivity because he can he can't be as free as a human would be. Nope. Um, and I find that fantastic because Daniel Quinn, uh, like before he started getting more interactive questions with it, that was always the first question. People would say, why a gorilla? Mm -hmm. And that just, he, he said that he just was happy about that. Is that the teacher being such a strange, you know, a strange It had to be something outside. Exactly. It, couldn't it can't be, be a teacher. human. No, not at all. Because then human. it's a pariah or a... Well, let alone then it... Or a prophet, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and or it, it doesn't have the same impactful message because in essence a human right. can have perspective. Right. Uh, a gorilla, you don't know what their perspective is. It's a total different species. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that the pupil comes from 
probably the uh, the sixties because when he reads that, must have an earnest desire to save the world. That maybe he at a young age was involved in you know peace. He wanted a world change, and that never happened. And I mean, they do discuss some of that later on about how the sixties and seventies were people who right. were trying to convert from takers to leavers, um, but they just ended up getting wrapped back into how society exactly would force and them to that's be. why he was so upset at first because I, I think he was part of that and now he's like let me see what this guy's full of and he's like oh well and i know people <laughs> like that obviously yeah, and true. and and it it is more difficult i and not to kind of make this a little bit of a an other thing but it's kind of funny in like a couple of the other things that i've listened to on like political spectrums and things there's a bunch of different people who have those similar mentalities from each of the kind of schools of, of politico. Mm. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that, um, that uh, there's a very strong message of that in libertarianism that, that there's a, like everybody needs to have their own society and the society needs to live, live the way that the society wants to, not the way that everybody else needs to. Very correct. Um, and, uh, there are some people within that spectrum who are like, I'm just going to live off of my own land and I'm going to grow my own food and I'm going to do my own thing. And if I interact with people, that's great. I know to treat everybody with a a level of modicum of respect yeah. because I'm not infringing on anybody else. Very true. But at the same time, I'm going to do what I need to do, which is, is uh, to me, like resonated. This book resonated with me because of that. I was going to say, this book for me really makes me question myself at times deeply of what do I want for myself? Would I be more happy with a living out of like a transit van? Because I'd be more like a lever. I don't have a big footprint. Mm-hmm. I don't need a house. What do I need a house for to store stuff that I'm not going to need when I die? Type, that, yeah, that type of thought process, like yeah. deep, like what do I need? I just really like that this book makes me, th- makes me think. Yeah. And it's not a hard book to read either. It's no. not very big. Um, it's only 300 pages yeah i i'd say i may not have become a teacher and taught a hundred more people but i do tell as many people as i can mm-hmm. about this book i've bought this book a couple times for people as gifts and i probably will again so let's treat this book as the early 2000s movie the ring treated the vhs type <laughs> everyone needs to otherwise they're going to die in seven days <laughs> If you don't, if you don't world, read this book, you'll die. <laughs> Wait, seven years, it's maybe seven years, more or less. Who knows? Um, but I, I also like. Uh, I would highly recommend you read the forward and afterward because they kind of impart Daniel Quinn. Maybe not the forward until after you're done with the book, but it, he I'm going to read the forward now. Yeah, he kind of imparts the forward imparts how he got to writing it, and then the afterward describes how how after the book came out. Yeah, the impact. The impact. And that was interesting. It's like the forward was, how did I get to this book? Afterward is, what happened after I wrote it? Which was great. Like, I, I feel like mo- more authors should be doing that. But yeah. the, the the book I read was also like the 25th anniversary of it. So That's what I read. Yeah, he yeah. had time to write both of those. But what I like is that some people took the book as he was a prophet and said, hey, teach oh, me yeah. how to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I can't do that. Because, that's not the purpose of yeah, this that's book. That's not the purpose of the book. And he and basically like there was a lot of students, professors, all sorts of people who were like, "Hey, let me ask you a bunch of questions." And he said he had like a symposium that was like 3 days long where him and like a group of 50 people just 
just kept asking him questions and they were like group think about thoughts and then he would he he was like oh this worked out so fantastically i'll do another one but the other one was post him writing um story uh, of b story of b and then there was another one that was after my ishmael and he basically said hey did you read the story of b yet and they were like no and he's like read the book they read it they had no more questions and then he's like that happened again he's like oh well read my ishmael and they read it. They had no more questions. He's like, I guess I have done everything I set up forth, set forth to do was provide a meaningful story about how you can reteach yourself to approach the world and yeah. how we should be approaching the world. And then here are some other questions and answers that you might have of other people who have dealt with Ishmael. And I thought the whole writing of all uh, of at least Ishmael itself. It was not too heavy-handed. It was not too aggressive in its way to teach you. It was very light, and being told from somebody else who's being educated is a like a really great way to consume the book. So, I would I would really recommend it. The audiobook is fantastic. The book itself is fantastic. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't read the story of B or my Hishmael. Maybe mm-hmm. I will next. I'm probably maybe, gonna read those. Maybe that'll be our next book club. That maybe yeah. Maybe that'll be our next book club. January casual mm. book club. Who knows? Maybe with Josh. Yeah, ooh, book club with Josh. <laughs> well, actually, this is our second book club because we also did Ready Player One as a book. Ah, club. yeah, which is good book. Yeah, yeah, good completely book. different book. Very different book. Still yeah. scary, futuristic. Very true. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the second one. Well, obviously, that was kind of the point of the book as well. Yeah. yeah. Like the end of the book, it's, yeah. it tells you, "Hey, don't like, hey, take, don't take life for granted, please. Like, get outside, outside." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about the book? I think that was a very good conversation. Good yeah. job, us. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Any shout-outs you want to give at the end of this? Um, shout out to mom and dad. There you go. We love you, brothers. And my sisters, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. But anyways, of course. <laughs> Thank you guys for yeah. having me here. Yeah, no yeah. problem. I'm. I mean, it was a very passionate discussion with all of us. So I very much enjoyed. I'm very devoid of passion. Yeah. And <laughs> if you all listening liked our our book club talks and want more of them, just let us know at generally casual on any social media or generally casual at gmail.com. You can send us an email. Maybe request other books you would like us to tackle if you really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and we exist everywhere a podcast exists on all po- podcast platforms. Yeah, so. get the get the Audible book or spend the eighteen bucks on the on the paperback. Get the paperback. Mark that. Yes. Yeah, I I will literally uh, be highlighting a bunch of stuff. Yes. In yes. Mind, so, well, love you all listening, and love both of you. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Peace. Bye bye. Bye.